0: Good morning, good afternoon. Hello, everyone. It's Greg here along with... uh...
1: It's Ivan. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. As we all say, how's everything going today, Greg?
0: For me, it's amazing. The weather's finally getting back to what it's like in England. So I think we're getting back to our normal expectations and, uh, well, keeping busy in general. We've got some interesting things, I think, to talk to you about today. But how are you doing?
1: Yep, very well, thanks. I I think as we approach summer everyone's thinking of you know their first summer holiday in quite some time um which which i think you know while while they're away on holiday you know it might be it might be good to ponder about your passive income you know how does your money work for you whilst you're well effectively on holiday or or just not 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 tending to it as they say
0: exactly exactly and i think that's well that that's uh you've nailed it on the head right there that's our topic for today will be passive income we're looking at the kind of fixed income versus passive income and how passive income might be affected by things like property yield dividend or any capital gains i guess is you know how how those might uh, might grow it and you know to kick start with myself i'm uh, i'm at a very early stage of trying to get any sort of passive income right now and i'm looking at real estate and seeing how that could affect it and just playing around with how how i can set it up for the next five six ten years or so where maybe i'll see some returns in again in a few years time i don't think there's anything coming soon and one of the key learnings for myself, at least with it, was that anything with passive income takes time.
1: Yeah, most certainly. I I think it's it's always worthwhile to defining what passive income is initially because mm. passive income is theoretically a a asset that just creates a yield, continuous yield, um, as uh, uh, through your holding time. So this yield is effectively the income or the money that it generates. That that gets distributed to you as the owner of the asset over time. So I think a good example of these are dividends, um, fixed income coupons, and property rental. You know, so these are things where you get paid every year, assuming the property, um, you know, you're as because your asset is doing its work per se. So property, you know, as as a as a store of wealth, you know, through rental income, it distributes funds, whereas dividends too. Um, if you choose the right dividend yielding stocks, um, they, they would they would pay out money or they would pay out a portion of their profits every year. Same thing fixed income is a bit like you know you, you've given a loan to a, an institution and that loan gets repaid. Um, no, the, the cost of holding that loan for that institution is paid out through uh, interest or a coupon payment every year.
0: I've got to say if we've got anyone listening here who's looking at fixed income and investing millions into things then let us know because we'd like to have you on the podcast I think <laughs> if anyone's investing into it but um no that that's a very good summary actually of passive and fixed income options for it um with passive income is yeah it's it's all about yield and actually one thing for asking yourself you know who's been in the stock market for quite a while and trading in it what sort of dividends would you expect to receive for passive income, with that because I I was just wondering, you know, how high or how low are they? Should the people expect to, you know, investing a thousand, ten thousand, or a hundred thousand pounds? What are what should be the expectations?
1: Yeah, I, I think the expectation for passive income is really where that we're in the single digits, really, no matter what we do, whether it be fixed income, dividends, or property. Um, I'm I'm really reflecting towards you know, developed markets uh, assets. So by that I mean, you know, whether this be Fixed income, dividend, uh, stocks, equity, or properties—you know—within developed markets. So this could be Europe, U.S., and whatnot. You're realistically looking within the single digits. Um, I think starting with a fixed income market, you know, with interest rates being so low or pretty much near zero, um, the the reality is, unless you're willing to take undue risk, your yields are going to be very, very small. So by that, I mean, you know, if you've got a triple A rated um, bond, so triple A meaning the highest grade, so the highest credit quality, and hence the lowest risk in terms of of any defaults or um, non-payments, you know, you're looking at sub 1% or hovering close to even 1%. But then as you slowly peel back and go down the credit structure, so for example, triple B minus, which is the the barrier between um, investment grade and junk, you know, at triple B, you're still yielding just over one percent, um, maybe two percent, depending on which specific names. So the reality is these are still very, very thin um, yielding numbers. When we move to dividends too, I think it's it's quite an open pot in terms of which which area you target um, to to look it up. We can check the average dividend of the um, of the FTSE 100, for example, which has, let me look it up. I believe it's somewhere in the, the single digits too.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think Coca-Cola was around 4 or 6%, I think, somewhere around that, but I'd have to check.
1: Yeah, so so the FTSE 100, which is the 100 largest uh, UK companies uh, listed, has an average yield of 3.5%. Hmm. But the reality is it it's really depends on which stock you choose because there are some lines, for example, your tobacco stocks. Um, so I believe Philip Morris and whatnot has about a 10% yield, principally because they are such a highly cash-generative business. However, their stock prices have been hit hard due to, pretty much being unloved for ESG, so environmental, social re- governance reasons. um, pe- People don't want to hold effectively tobacco stocks because you're supporting smoking and whatnot. So a lot of large pension funds, a lot of institutional funds have simply outright just just um banned or, 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 or sold out of their holdings.
0: And uh, one thing that you mentioned there, which I think might be worth just explaining a little bit more on, is when we look at uh, the triple A rated, triple B rated, you know, double Bs, things like that. Could you explain a bit more about what that actually means? Because, you know, I've I've heard that's being mentioned in in quite a few movies. I've seen it around. And I I kind of have a basic understanding of what it is, but I think it'd be great to hear it from you, who's actually dealt with the stuff a bit more.
1: Yep, most certainly. So every time you have a fixed income or bond product, typically you have what's called a credit rating attached to it. So a credit rating is essentially a, a a grade of how well, of how good the bond is. And this is primarily based on what are the chances of the, the company paying their coupons. So the coupons is effectively the cost of holding this debt. And this is a recurring payment. So it could be quarterly, annually, semi-annually and whatnot. But it's so, so firstly, it's rating the, 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 the probability of them repaying back this money. And then secondly, too, it's at the end and on maturity of the bond is the probability of when they will repay back the, the capital, um, the nominal amount. So essentially, it, it, it is a measure of how good or the quality of the bond. And by quality means the chances of repayment. Um, both in terms of the interest, so the coupon, and the end nominal amount. So uh, credit ratings are provided by essentially major, major credit providers. So the three largest being uh, S&P, Fitch, and Moody's. So um, typically, wh- whenever a bond issuer is about to release a bond, they would pay one of these providers, or one or three even sometimes, to give them a credit rating. Now, once they have a credit rating, so the credit rating agency, so S M P, Moody's or Fitch, would actively monitor these businesses, such that if they ever had like a, a difficult period or whatnot, that could be reflected in their credit rating. So that in turn, you know, they could get possibly downgraded if they're going through a poor period. At the same time, too, if the business has recovered well, they they could get upgraded. So triple A being the best and it goes all the way down to what we call junk. So it's triple A, then it goes double A, and then you got A, and then and then, then you got triple B, so on and so forth. Um and then so so essentially we call bonds or fixed income which has a rating above triple B minus investment grade, and we call anything below that uh essentially junk. Um, which which is a bit of a harsh terminology, but essentially what it means is that a lot of institutions, especially insurance and pension funds, have requirements that if they hold any fixed income assets, it must be of a certain grade. And typically, they go it must be investment grade, hence triple B minus. But then once you go below that into what we call the junk territory, um, that's where a lot of institutions can't hold it because they, are, they see the perceived higher risk of default on non-payments of, of credit, of coupons. And yep. essentially yeah. to compensate for that higher risk, you have effectively a higher yield. So you earn more money for um, holding this bond.
0: Okay, I think that's a very good yeah. in-depth explanation of what, of what they are. And, um, uh, it's, it's interesting to find out a lot more about it because I know that the first time I actually heard about triple A's, double A's and B's and things like that was when I was watching the big short. That's the first time I heard about it when they were talking about how the triple A's were being supported by double B's and the double B's by the, by the double C's and so on and so forth. So it's, uh, it's interesting to actually find out a bit more about it and not in a such a, I guess, Hollywood movie fashion uh-huh. explanation, but what it actually means is always good to find out. Um... And we see, that's kind of one of the ways to get passive income. But um, so we looked at fixed income, we looked at dividend and then property yield. One thing that I'd mentioned on that one is when we're looking at property yield from income as well um, as passive income, at least a lot of the time, you would be looking in single digits as well. I remember looking at a number of properties in Manchester recently, and they were, I believe, at about five, six percent yield. I know that someone uh, was recently looking at a property around where I am right now in uh, Nottinghamshire. And I think the yield around here was eight percent on that property as well. So a lot of the time, you will be looking at single figures, whatever it is, which is why I think with passive income, it's it's one of those words that's being said quite a lot online. You can hear it from a lot of influencers being mentioned. Oh yeah, you know, do this, do that, get passive income. But to get it, you've got to do first of all, you know, we've been banging on about it, but it's always research. See what you're investing in. And also depending on how much you invest into it. Because if you're investing £100 and getting 6% back into it, you're only getting £6 back. So it's always dependent on, um, on how much you invest. But then there's always the possibility of compound interest on top of it. So if you invest that, that £6 and you invest it back, you've got £106, which then generates you £6 on, t- 6% on top of that. So I think that's another interesting thing that, that maybe you've got probably a far better explanation than yeah, I do, Ivan, on compound that, interest.
1: That's very true. So compounding or, or pretty much reinvesting your, your income is, is a great way of just slowly um, expanding your wealth by ensuring that any money that comes out of your investments gets reinvested. Having said that, it's slightly easier said than done because from a fixed income perspective, um, normally due to the sizings of fixed income. So so fixed income would normally have a minimum clip size that you have to buy. So there could be 10000 or more commonly about 100000 Um So unless unless you have a fairly significant holdings, it is hard to reinvest in that chunks. Same thing as property, because when income, so your rental income spits out, it's not like you can buy another brick or another square foot within the, your property. So um, the most straightforward way of compounding your returns is through dividends, is through equity investments, um, because that's where you can rebuy the um, stock, because um, stocks tend to be traded in much smaller quant, uh, nominal, smaller amounts. So depending on what stock line you have, it could be you know, a matter of a few pounds right up to to um, much larger numbers.
0: Yeah. and I, and I think this is where one of the important things that comes in with compound interest is whatever compound interest you're looking at in whichever vehicle you're looking at it in it's always going to take time it's going to take years and years and years and I think that's why when you look at investing or anything like that you 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 can't really look at it in a one or two year perspective you've got to have a look at 10 15 years what's my compound interest going to be after that or even five years that's you know at the end of the day I think that's uh, that's what it's worth looking at because as you as you pointed out if you're looking at I'm going to mention property just because that's the one I'm kind of, <laughs> i the most comfortable talking, talking about. Um, but as you mentioned, if you're getting you know, £500 a month from it, let's say, from the rental property, plus at the end of it, maybe the value increased by 5%, you can try and pull that out after a couple of years and buy another property. But you can't get that money within six months and reinvest it because there's just not enough of it. So you have to look at it in terms of years and years and years and planning it out. So these things do take time to get, uh, to get going right if you are looking to live off of passive income that is it is going to take ages if if it's even ever ever possible
1: most certainly um so I, I think i think expanding on from that it it's really seeing how your passive income fits into the greater portfolio in terms of passive income portfolios this tend to be a lot of the more safer assets to some degree because by having a passive income, you're effectively de-risking your investment because it creates a return, hence an active return, versus something which would sit there, and um, and you'd you'd have to wait, you know, years or time to really unlock value. So passive income is really seen as, as as a, a jet in in a very generalized format, the more greatest or de-risked portion of your portfolio. And you'd likely complement that with higher risk assets in other areas, which we'll expand on in other podcasts.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, I think for today, we've covered enough. We've said enough technical terms, I think, for people to hopefully not get bored to death in the last 15 minutes. So thank you very much for listening. It's been uh, Greg and Ivan. And, yeah, we'll, we'll probably be here, hopefully, next week with some more topics. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll we'll speak to you guys soon. Thank you much for listening.
1: Bye. Good night, good evening, so long. Indeed. Brilliant. So, um, just before we wrap up, we have to do the, um, the good old traditional disclaimer, as they say. So, all views expressed are our own personal views at this time and not of any firms and does not constitute any financial advice.